Sustainable, the podcast, is listened to in 20 countries over five continents and features inspiring interviews with leaders of sustainable practices. With your host, Tabby Jane, CEO and founder of EarthSelf, creating a global movement to educate leaders and organizations on the transformative power of nature-centered business. In episode 50, I spoke to Alison Holt, Director of Natural Capital Solutions, to find out what natural capital is and why it's important if you're wanting to create a sustainable business. Today, I'm speaking to Alistair Mitchell-Baker. Alistair is an experienced organisational leader and consultant who is Tricordant's coordinating director. His passion is supporting leaders working through complex strategic and organisational issues using his skills in strategy, organisation design and development. He draws on many years of senior management experience, including as an NHS Trust Chief Executive and over 11 years as an NHS Non-Executive Director. He loves the unique challenge each client organisation brings, from a small NGO fighting for the rights of Indigenous forest peoples to NHS systems navigating complex transformation. He's a founding director of European Organisation Design Forum and the current treasurer, a previous director of Organisation Design Forum and deputy chair of South Central Ambulance Services NHS Foundation Trust. Welcome, Alistair. It's great to have you on Sustainable today. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Me too. So let's let let's get in. Tricordon is a carbon neutral company. So what, what what does that mean and how do you implement this on a practical level? Well, we uh Tricordon's been around for about uh, 12 years and I guess uh, we've we've never had a central office. We we basically work from our home offices and travel together to get together maybe once a month face to face with colleagues. Um, and then we obviously have to travel when we go and work with clients wherever we are. And I think over the years we've become aware of, well, well, well what's the impact we're having on the environment? And, and we decided we wanted a number of years ago to to kind of minimise any negative impacts we have. And, and, and so we decided to say, you know, can we can we be carbon neutral through through uh, making a donation effectively to offset the carbon load that comes from particularly our travel? Um, and so we make a donation to an outfit called Climate Stewards, who we know quite well, and they use the funds, particularly invest in projects in places like Ghana to support reforestation and um, protecting forests there and working with local communities. So that's what it means. And that's how we practically do it. Um, and I think I'm probably slightly behind in my latest donation to Climate Stewards, but uh we, we, we look at it uh, at a regular basis. So that's, so that's what we do. Excellent. And when you're saying that you've got no central office, I mean, how does that work as well? I mean, is that better for the environment? Is it better for working? How have you found having no central office and working from home and connecting the way that you do? Well, I mean, it basically means that, the you know, we, we've got people who live in South Wales, Brighton, Reading, uh, Derby, uh, you know, around ra- the country. So, so we can live and work from our home offices. And these days, with Skype and telecoms and email, you can you can just you know you can work from anywhere. Um, we've also had um, a 
a colleague who was based in New Zealand who very sadly died uh, at the weekend and we could collaborate with him on Skype. So so it definitely reduces um, the need for people all to be in one place and you don't need the overheads of a central office and you don't need the kind of week, the daily commute into a, you know, to one office. Now, the downside is you, it's not the same in terms of what people call the water co- cooler conversations. And the, but, but you can recreate a fair bit of that on Skype. And then as long as you have quality time together, in our case, once a month, you, you can do some of that kind of um, relational work as well. So, so it definitely does have an impact on both the way the business functions, but also the, 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 the kind of cost structures and the environmental impact. And a number of organizations are increasingly working, I think, in this sort of world where so many people are either self-employed or working in a kind of network of, of um, self-employed colleagues. Yeah, no, it, it, it sounds fascinating. And I just appreciate the different different ways of being able to work. Because um, I think that's something that as we move to creating a sustainable world and looking at all different aspects of it, how do we create sustainable working environments? And, you know, for many people who've got a, a daily commute that's quite long, the simple act of being able to work in the office and um, can have powerful transformation on the way that people end up viewing their work. Yes, the the downside is is that my office is, uh, you know, ten meters from my bedroom, and the ability of me to keep the boundaries and not work uh, more hours than I should do, uh, my wife might point out, is is a, is another challenge that goes with it. So so there are definite plus pluses, and but there are some challenges, and um, you know the. Uh, but I'm, I can assure you, I do not miss the commute. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 after battling through rain today to get to the studio to record this interview, I can well understand that. <laughs> so how can whole systems thinking help create healthy, sustainable and effective organisations? And I suppose it would be helpful just to take a step back as well and give an explanation of whole systems thinking just so that everybody who is listening to this understands what we mean by that. Right. Um, uh, and there would be lots of different kind of ways in which people might describe it. But for me, I think the whole systems thinking is, ba- is basically recognising that there is an interrelationship between, um, at one level, everybody and everything. But, but particularly when we think about a system, that there are uh, interconnections between the different parts of the system and, the, and the, those interconnections and the behaviour and the patterns that emerge from those interconnections are, are not necessarily always entirely predictable or expected. So, um, you know, I can, I can look at uh, individuals in a team, I can talk to individuals in a team, but something different happens when I look at how they work together and how they behave together. I could then look at that team and and I could see some machinery that it and technology that they're working with and um, actually I'd only really know what's going on when you look at those people and those people working together and the technology or the machinery they're working with and again you you might say well what about the environment they're working in the 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 office or the factory they're working with um, is that oppressive is that light is that how does it connect to nature and outside and so so you you go on thinking about how these things connect and and you might talk to the people and say what's going on in your world what's going on at home what's going on politically and 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 you might find that people are then what's affecting them at work is that they're really worried about what's happening 
to in the wider world, for instance. So, so it's these connections with things that all have an impact that then change how behaviour uh, and results happen. That that I think the whole system thinking is is thinking about the connectedness and the interrelationships of things more than just what they are as an individual, you know, part of the uh, on their own. Yeah. Definitely. So then how can thinking about everything as this interconnected set of, you know, relationships and and looking at almost like the big picture for want of a a better, better way of expressing it? How do they help create healthy, sustainable and effective organisations? Well, so so what we do when we're working with uh, organisations is is we will help the leaders and the staff and and the and 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 the stakeholders so so first thing all whole system thinking would do is to say you you need to bring representatives or the whole system as much as possible into thinking about well what what are what are the challenges what are the issues so to me um it isn't therefore just about well what does the chief executive and the and the board think it's 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 bringing wider people into thinking about it connecting sharing information and perspectives about what's going on in the world what's going on in the organization and together then working out well how can we best um, align and work together and improve how we work to deliver in line with our mission our purpose that's going to really pay attention to things that matter to us and that might be the needs of the customers the people we serve the shareholders the the, or the stakeholders um, or the the wider citizens, if it's in the public sector, um, as well as the staff themselves. So, 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 in that sense, what, how do we work together to create something that is that I would say was healthy from a, from an organisational health point of view, but also a place where people thrive in terms of their personal health and well-being, that it's sustainable, um, both in its impact on the environment, but also in terms of its um, f- f- financial and commercial sustainability. Uh, and for the people there, that, that it's a way of working that you can keep doing over time um, and that it's effective. It is doing what it's supposed to do uh, in its purpose. So so that that's kind of the what we're thinking about when we're saying whole systems thinking alongside disciplines like organisation design and development help help achieve those sorts of outcomes. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I like it because what you're saying is by being able to take everything into consideration, we're fundamentally creating, in simple terms, a better organisation that can have its, its financial sustainability, it can, you know, make its social and environmental impact if that's what it is, but ensure that it, it continues and it lasts so that, you know, the organisation isn't then even going to experience like burnout through employees or anything, you know, or burnout through lack of technology and equipment that ends up damaging it, especially in the way that the world works today with all the, the uncertainty that's going on. I mean, that, that that's right. Um, and uh, but how you do that. So, so at one level, it could be overwhelming to say, um, my goodness, you've, so you're telling me you've got to involve everybody and think about everything. So uh, what, what, what the approaches that we do are try and say, well, how do we help people to think together, work together, share information together so that together they help work out what the solutions are and how you go forwards? Because you can't, you know, no one individual can hold all of that sort of complexity that we're talking about in their heads but together people can work together to 
to to identify issues, work them through, come up with solutions. And and the correct and the interesting thing is that when people help develop solutions, they support them in a way that they don't if somebody else tells them what to do. Yeah, I love that. So what you're, you're also highlighting there is the power of getting the employees engaged with the necessary changes that need to happen to to get the organisation where it needs to go. Yeah, uh, uh, and it, it, in, in the context where the world is changing uh, at a fast rate in a way that is increasingly uncertain, increasingly ambiguous, in, increasingly scary for many people. So, so the thing is, we can't stay as we are but how do we together learn how to, to, to develop and change? Yeah. And I mean, this kind of leads into the next next question, because I mean, why do we need to help people at work achieve their full potential? And why is it really important now, especially in a world that for some is turning into quite a scary world due to the rate of change that's happening? Well, I mean, at one level, I think we have to accept that there are an awful lot of people with jobs that are uh, that they don't... F- um, flourish or thrive in they are they are um, jobs and there is there is research evidence that shows that jobs where people have a very low level of autonomy freedom to make their own decisions actually their life expectancy is much shorter than people who have jobs where they have higher degrees of autonomy uh, discretion um, and so so literally this is an issue about personal uh, impact on personal health but but, but the other thing is that clearly if, if people in a workplace aren't able to achieve their potential, aren't able to contribute, don't bring their work as it were. They're talked about as how many hands do we need rather than how many people do we need bringing all that they bring. We're just missing out on so much as an organisation, whether it's a council or a hospital or a, um, you know, a factory or, a, or, or whatever kind of organisation it is, we, you know, both for those those people and the impact it makes on their personal health and well-being and sense of fulfillment but also on the organization and the people they serve we, you know we want to we want people to be able to bring their whole selves to work i think it's in all of our interests yeah and i mean i i like it because what you're highlighting there is it's not just the personal benefit i.e these people are going to live longer but they're just going to be more active more engaged and autonomous was the word as I was listening to you that just came up. I mean, it, it's really giving that validating people and saying, well, you're more than capable of doing this on you go, go and do it. And together we will actually make the changes that need to happen. It, absolutely indeed. And the, the evidence from people like Gallup is the number of people who feel engaged with their work and their workplace is uh, generally across the world is frighteningly low. Um, and there is a huge opportunity to engage people and to get from an employer's point of view what we would call discretionary effort. You know, there's probably 50 percent extra effort that people bring when they're fully engaged, enjoy their work, feel listened to compared to you're somewhere where you're told what to do. You're not engaged. You don't really understand what's going on. You don't necessarily really trust the organisation. So so there's a huge benefit for everybody from, from, from addressing these issues. Totally. And I mean, even purely on a financial level, I mean, what I'm hearing you say there is you get 50% more productivity from your employees just by getting them engaged and involved, which fundamentally is going to help it impact the bottom line. Never mind any of the other benefits that's going to come along. Yeah, so so I always find it interesting. So whilst I personally, from a from a philosophical or faith basis, say this stuff's really important, actually from a hard nosed financial point of view, 
there is huge commercial sense in 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 addressing these issues and treating people in a kind of whole different way um uh, uh. so we've got to those of us who work in this field have got to make the case with hard evidence um that gets through to people who are kind of very numbers and finance driven um but the, ca the case the return on investment is is very powerful i think yeah. So then what resources would you recommend for businesses or organisations that are looking to get their employees more engaged and help them achieve their full potential? Well, I, I, I think it often does help an organisation and their and their leaders to have people they can talk about from outside the organisation about what, what are the issues and where they're at and how they can do this. And so, you know, there are a range of people they can go and talk to. There are, they can go to other places where people talk about these things. So, so often people involved in organization development, organization design, um, will, will be talking about these sorts of issues. So you can go along and there's places you can, organizations you can go to, associations you can go to that are, that are free, uh, like the European Organization Design Forum that I'm part of. We have a, we have a Scottish group meets regularly and there are people who think about these sorts of things you can go along there and learn there 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 are there are books that you can read um uh, that there's there's a really interesting book by a, a guy called um marvin weisbord called productive workplaces and he and he tracks the history of the development of thinking about work and workplaces and all the different theories over the time as to how do you how do you how do you how do you address these sorts of issues so there are books like that there's quite a weighty book that you could read um so uh, the other thing is just to start the conversation with with your staff and your colleagues about you know how engaged you are how, how engaged people feel about it how much they feel their voice is heard and what they could do about it and and clearly you know lots of organizations have staff surveys and things like that but but there is nothing like genuinely asking the conversation and starting to take seriously what people say and there might well be things that can be done quite quickly quite easily at, without high cost that make a, a big difference to people in in many organizations yeah no that's great so then how has focusing on basically having a social and environmental impact within your company through your b corporation affiliation affected the way that you live your daily life so um, becoming a B Corp felt like the right thing to do for us as Tricordant because it, it, it's a whole movement of people who share lots of values for us about, you know, effectively recognising business is a powerful force for good in this world, um, you know, whatever particular type of business you're in. So being a B Corp has impact on how we think about things as a company as Tricordant. In a sense, we became a B Corp because we already did a lot of those things in terms of our social purpose uh, we, we we've set up a, a number of years ago we set up a foundation we we we, we give 10 percent of our profits through that to to give into various you know social um causes etc um it, it also affects us individually so for me personally as a family we 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 have things like solar power solar thermal we try and use electricity very carefully at timing of which we do the washing we recycle as much as we can. We make try and make sensible decisions about travel. So, so it 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 kind of can affect us on an individual level as well as us as a company about how we choose to use our time and how we choose to use you know use resources. Mm, definitely, and I, I I like that because I mean it's 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 what I'm hearing you say is and it's it's something that a lot of. Um, 
B corporations have said they were kind of doing this anyway. So then having a an ability to be recognised and have a, a certification process for it is is just that deeper layer of value and commitment to what you believe is the right thing to be doing. Yeah, and it's tremendously encouraging to find other people with similar values to share because that sense of connectedness and that sense that together we can create a movement that will start shifting. So so I think, I mean, and there are other movements other than just B Corp, um, some we're connected to that will share similar values, but it's it's shifting this idea that business is, is only about a, a, a single bottom line into, into a concept of, of, of multiple bottom line impacts in terms of social, environmental, um, relational impacts that, that you have. And, it, and it's great to be part of a wider movement. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So then, who do you most admire and why then, Alistair? <laughs> I, I, I think there are two people that sprung to mind if I answer the, the question honestly. One would be one would be Jesus, Jesus Christ, as a, as a Christian because of his example of, um, I, I think somebody who who just confronted the powers that that were. Uh, who stood up for the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalised, and 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 took it head on, as it were. Um, so so he would be he 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 would be somebody I'd pick. The the other kind of person who has always been a tremendous inspiration to me is Nelson Mandela, mm. be, because again he chose forgiveness and reconciliation when he came out of the uh, came out of the captivity. And did what I think many people thought was impossible was to have a generally peaceful transition from apartheid to to a multiracial South Africa. Um, and and I think I mean, whilst Mandela was by no means a perfect individual, his ability to transcend hatred, to forgive and to bring about reconciliation was, you know, I have always found inspiring my father was born in Zambia. He and he was somebody who abhorred racism. And I suppose from an early age, in a sense, that 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 bit of me that kind of has that um, African roots and origins has had that identification too with with Mandela. Mm, yeah. No, I, I really like that. I find Nelson Mandela somebody particularly inspiring f- for exactly the same reasons as you've just mentioned. So then. What is one of your most favourite memories of a time or a place in nature and why? Well, so, so, so there are many, but, but, but the one that I suppose most enduringly fits with me is when I, when I was at school, I had the huge privilege of, of for, for some reason, some of our teachers decided let's form a, an adventure society and, and they formed an adventure society. This is 30 years ago and it's still going. But the first thing we did as an adventure was 25 of us went to Mount Kenya and climbed Mount Kenya, uh, which is on the which is the most amazing place. Second highest mountain in Africa on the equator. The most we spent a week. Uh, this is a bunch of, you know, we were what, um, 16, 17, 18 year old lads. Nobody else around doing field work so it was brilliant in terms of learning about geography and biology and seeing stuff but the most amazing landscapes and then climbing to the top of mount kenya or the the point lanana which is there about five o'clock in the morning we reached a, po- a point called simba Col, 
where they'd found a fossilized lion and you had a view down one uh, down the different valleys that uh, you know around the mountain and the majesty and the way in which the light played off the landscapes was just amazing and has stuck with me forever and my wife bought me for christmas this year an account a book written by an italian prince of war, uh, um, prisoner of war who was kept in a prisoner of war camp uh, in the second world war at the foot of mount kenya and he and two crazy friends escaped from the prisoner of war camp and climbed up mount kenya and then climbed back again uh, and broke back into the camp um, just because the mountain was there to be climbed and in the book he described some of the the rock the 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 you, what you see the flora the fauna the and the rocky outcrops and it absolutely thought i oh, my goodness i remember that and it brought it all flooding back so that's probably why i'm remembering it because i read my wife gave me a book about it at christmas as well it yeah. is the most amazing place but i i think what's really powerful there is you've had this experience and then you're reading the book and the book is you know his experience is so accurately depicted that you're able to be transported back to that moment and almost relive it just because of somebody else's account yes yes that was amazing mm. so then how do experiences like this influence and impact your own commitment to sustainability then alistair well i think um, when you and you recognize there's a privilege in experiencing nature and seeing the beauty of it and and um, and then also understanding the impact that people have on the environment you kind of go we, we, we've got to protect our, our, our forests our natural um, environments because you see the impact that people and the activity of people can have, particularly if it's done in a way that doesn't in, engage local people, doesn't um, follow human rights, doesn't make sense. And, and the, the decisions I make as a consumer when I go into the local supermarket can impact a whole supply chain that makes an impact on beautiful forests the other side of the world. And if I don't have that awareness in the choices I make and the pressure I put as a consumer on on business and on government, you know, we we're, we don't get our environment back easily. So I, uh, you know, I think that impact on the environment and, and uh, is, is critical. And in how we live our world, lives, you know, on a planet that we're supposed to care for and um, we're dependent on. So so I guess I guess there's a there's there's a thing about beauty and there's a thing about responsibility and stewardship for me. Mm. Yeah, I like those words, beauty and responsibility and stewardship. So then, what's the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today? <laughs> well, I think it would probably be that, um, probably going back to thinking about organisations and workplaces, that, that I think that we, each of us, we can and we should and we must work together to make our organisations and workplaces, places that are great places to work for everyone, and they'll be they'll be good for our organisations, and they'll be good for the people that those organisations serve, and the customers that 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 that, that, that they might serve. Uh, things can be so much better than they are, and they start with having a conversation about it and facing up to, do you know what? Can we do something to make this better? Yeah. 
And I, I, I really like that. And just to reinforce, reinforce for everybody who's listening, you know, what you're talking about, how can we make organisations better? That means that it has an impact on the financial assets of the organisation, it has an impact on the, you know, the human capital, the natural capital, and fundamentally it, it makes more money, but it makes more productivity and it makes people engaged and able to reach their full potential. So as far as I'm hearing from what you've said today, it's basically it's a win-win situation. And I absolutely. And the win win will extend because um, you'll then be able to make. So the other thing is you become healthier as an organization and people are more engaged is you can be more make better choices about the impact that you have on other people and indeed on the environment because because and you've got more you you, you gain a greater awareness together of of the impact of what you're doing. Um, and so it does impact to me on sustainability of the environment as well as on social sustainability and, 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 and individual and personal experience and uh, fulfilment. Brilliant. That's great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alistair. It's been a privilege. Thank you very much. If listening to the show has inspired you to find out more about nature-centred business, go to www.earthself.org and click on the Nature Centred tab. And as always, if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please get in touch. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to Will Richardson, Managing Director of Green Element, an environmental management consultancy agency that is passionate about encouraging businesses to develop their relationship with the environment, leading to reduced overheads and improved green credentials, powerful for financial growth and public and stakeholder opinion. New episodes of Sustainable are released every Tuesday. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud. Get them sent straight to your inbox by signing up at www.earthself.org. Or come on over and join the conversation on our LinkedIn podcast page.